In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. Your hosts today are Doug Barry and myself, Father Justin Braun. In today's episode, we plan to talk a little bit about uh, a lot of things that affect us as men, uh, especially as husbands and fathers, uh, as spiritual fathers, that is, in the priesthood, and really talking, uh, hopefully, about our complementarity with one another and how we... Uh, as husbands, fathers, as spiritual fathers, can help to evangelize the souls of our families, our parishes, and, and God willing, the whole world. So um, I'm very glad to have you with me again today, Doug. And it, we were just talking a little bit right before we started about uh, funerals. You know, it's, <laughs> it's part of life. We're, we're going to die. And yeah. uh, I think that's a great kind of way to just step into this conversation. Is uh, Doug was sharing with me a great story about how he, he hopes that funeral will go for him. And it may seem a morbid thing, but it is All Souls uh, Month. We're praying for, the, for our beloved dead. And so, Doug, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about that, that image that you were sharing with me. Oh, sure, Father. Yeah, it's good. and by the way, it's great to be with you again on this. Um, you know, I've you know, I, I, I been blessed to have, uh, well, seven children, two in the arms of our Lord and five living children. And, you know, I, growing up, I, I always knew, you know, one day you're going to die, but you want to invest in your kids' lives. You want to give them a lot. You want them to have something to remember you later. And I know a lot of us men, especially husbands, fathers, we want to leave them with, you know, some financial, you know, uh, mm. assistance, which is fine. That's great. It has a great place. Um, the knowledge of how to, how to, you know, be a, uh, you know, a good worker, you know, or how to get a good job, you know, education, all that's important stuff has its place, definitely, but not more important than, you know, really preparing for standing before God. So one of the things that I always thought about was when I die, I want to leave my children with one of the most important things possibly and th- that I could, and that is uh, some, some connection to our Lord, especially through our, our Blessed Mother. The rosary, it's a critical part, uh, critical um, element of our Catholic faith. Uh, it's important for the whole world, and and we husbands and fathers should be embracing the rosary. We should be embracing it every day. It should be part of our lives. Our Blessed Mother has asked that we pray the rosary every day. She said this in Fatima, for example. And so I want that rosary to be part of my life. I carry one with me all the time. I have one in my, in my Jeep, I, a couple in my Jeep, a couple on my desk, in my backpack, where I travel for work. And, and I wanted my kids, when I die, if, God willing, I'm able to have a funeral where my vo- body is able to be viewed, mm-hmm. you know, because, again, we can't take those things for granted. You never know how, the, how our end's going to come. But if they can come down and view Dad's body, and standard operating Catholic funeral is, you know, the hands are folded over the chest, the rosary normally is wrapped around the hands. It's beautiful. It's a great image. But I never wanted my kids to come down and kneel down and in front of the body and view Dad's body and say, there's, there's Dad, he's now gone, and then look at the rosary on my hands and say, what's that? Why is that there? Dad never, he never really, I mean, this wasn't part of his life. I didn't want that. I want them to come up and see the rosary and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that." That's, that's my dad. 
Dad was all about the rosary. He talked about it. He, he prayed it. He carried it with them. He encouraged us in the family to make it an extension of who you are. That's what I wanted, Father, because I wanted to leave them. And I want them, you know, maybe one day they'll hear this podcast. Right. You know, and I want them to know that that rosary, that devotion to Jesus and our Blessed Mother is critical, critical aspect, you know, as a, as a Catholic in this world, as any for anybody, but especially as Catholics. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a beautiful kind of way to understand how the Father really stands at the forefront of the battle, mm. uh, the spiritual battle going on in the, in the family and in the world, but, right. um, but that also that great reminder that Our Lady still, even for us as men, Our Lady is that mediatrix of, of grace. She is the one who is the great disciple whom we, mm. we have to imitate, and you know what better way than through the eyes of our mother to understand her son uh, it's kind of pivoting to a different, you know, kind of similar but different thing with me is as a priest, you know, one of the great traditions, little t traditions, is at the ordination, uh, at the ordination mass, the priest's hands are uh, folded together and he, he puts, uh, wraps a, what's called a manaturgia, it means a hand towel mm-hmm. around his hands after the bishop has consecrated his hands. And um, the little t tradition is that the priest's first mass, he'll he'll give to his mother um, right. that, that small hand towel. and. She'll keep it as a keepsake for the rest of her life, and, and that is so cool. It, it's beautiful. And she'll be buried with it, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and that it, you know, at her final judgment, uh, the Lord will ask, "How have you loved me?" And and our our mother, you know, priest mother will say, "I gave you my son, a priest." And yeah. it's such a beautiful image. But the neat one for us as men, and I, for a lot of reasons, I think people are always compounded. The element of surprise and emotion compounds for a great moment at, at the end of the first mass for the priest. Is he also has a purple stole, which we use to hear confessions. And uh, I remember very clearly my first day as a priest. I got ordained at 10 a.m., roughly probably about 10.48 a.m. I was ordained a priest. Mass was over about 11.30, went to the reception, and then drove to my home parish and uh, about 45 minutes away and sat in the box and heard confessions for about two hours. My first day as a priest, it was just so awesome and, and a, really great. eye-opening. I was like, gosh, man, the mercy of God is so real. But the next day we had my, my the first solemn Mass as a priest, and uh, at the end of the Mass um, I was I presented my mom the manaturgia. Um, and then my my dad was a little unaware of this. At the time he was not Catholic. Mm. He just came into the church a couple of years ago, and uh I, I gave to my dad the stole from that first session of confessions mm. I ever heard. And, and the, 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 again, the little T tradition is that you, you hand to your father uh, that purple stole um, that he, too, can present to our Lord at his judgment and say, you know, the Lord will say, what did you do for me? And he say, I gave you my son a priest. But what I want to emphasize with the people there that day and, and continue to emphasize when I talk about this day is that we learn mercy through our fathers. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a biological instinct to, to, to understand mercy through the Father um, that leads us to the, to our Heavenly Father. And uh, I talked about that, like the, the first person who taught me how to, to exercise mercy was my Father. Yeah. And he showed me the way of mercy through his pardoning of my offenses, you know, yeah. <laughs> my being stupid and childish, but just the way he, he lived out uh, mercy towards my sisters and my mom. And, and I think that's a great reminder to each of us, too, that as fathers, we sometimes we, we can be hot hot and heavy, kind of heavy-tempered. And, sure. and uh, the reminder, too, that, you know, you're supposed to show the love of God the Father of mercies as we pray in the prayer of absolution, God the Father of mercies. Uh, so it's just a beautiful way. Both of us are going to have to deal with death in our right. lives, with ourselves and uh, with those we love, but to recognize that Our Lady uh, draws us 
end to that intimate moment of, of death through the gift of the rosary and that the mercy of the Father is there present at the moment of our death, too. Well, and, and, and that point of mercy and Father's teaching that, you know, that's something I've tried to do with my children, um, and I, I suppose we can ask them someday and find out if it's worked. <laughs> but as they would grow up, if there were mistakes or problems or things happen, I mean, yeah, we, I would, you know, maybe send them to the room, take a few minutes, then come in and discuss what correction or discipline, discipline in the true sense of discipleship, really trying mm-hmm. to help shape them, needed to be uh, taken care of there, and try to explain to them what I could Mm-hmm. Um, about the scenario and the situation. But then I would tell them, and, and um, again, I hope this, this stuck in their mind, that once this is over, once it's been dealt with and it's forgiven, I'm forgetting it. Right. You know, as our Lord forgets our sins once they're <clears throat> confessed and absolved, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to forget this. I'm not going to hold this against you, son, or, or, or my daughter. I'm not going to hold this against you down the road five years. Remember that day when you, uh, right. you know, threw that ball and broke the window? I'm not going to do that. It's gone. I forget it. It's right. over with. We move forward now. Right. The rearview mirror is only is only there to remind us what we've done, so we learn from it, right. but not to dwell on that. The windshield is a much bigger window we're looking through. That yep. rearview mirror is small. It's just to remind us, but the windshield is where we're going forward now. But it's the mercy, like you said, and I, I, I try to think of that in regards to the fact that, when again, when we confess our sins and they're absolved, you know this better than the two, been better than, you know, between the two of us, you know better than I that, God forgets those sins when, right. they're, when they're forgiven, when they're absolved. Right. And I'll just put a point in there, too, and we'll move on a little bit, but we forget, too. Priests really, <laughs> by the grace of That's God, good to know. I think it's a grace that our Lord gives each <laughs> yeah. of us. Like, I could very rarely tell you anything I remember, and I especially couldn't tell you who said it because, you know, there's a screen. There's just the lack of <laughs> confidence. I don't, I don't even know sometimes as a boy or a girl because little kids, you know, they kind of their, their voices are always changing. Yeah. I don't yeah. care. And the good news is I'll truly forget, and I think most of us do. Um, so if you see at the, at, the, at the gas station in the grocery store parking lot, it's not going to be, oh, no, Father sees me. You're not right. going to look over and go, oh. Right, exactly. I remember yeah. you all. Yeah. Your I'm sins not- aren't that interesting. That's what I always <laughs> tell people. They're really not. Uh, so – so today we're gonna we are gonna really dive into this uh, role of fatherhood and and being a husband and um, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about priesthood and we're gonna share some thoughts. But first, I wanted to kind of just set the stage for the rest of the conversation. Um, there's there's great good happening in the life of the church um, for husbands and and fathers. Uh, Bishop Thomas Olmsted of Phoenix a couple mm-hmm. years ago wrote a great pastoral letter into the breach and really challenged men in his diocese, but, you know, throughout the United States, I think mm-hmm. there was a kind of an awakening, so to speak, of, yeah, there's a real need for us to, to grow in virtue, and we've seen a, a cottage industry of websites that have popped up, mm. and, and they're good. Like, I really enjoy reading a lot of those things, but, you know, Doug, you've been a dad for more than half your life now, and yeah. you, your grandfather, and I uh, just want to ask you, what are the what, are you, what do you think are the biggest challenges really facing men? Maybe two or three of those biggest challenges in front of us these days? Oh, boy. You know, I would say um, the battle between the ways of the world and the ways of God, which everybody has to deal with. But for men in particular, we have to deal with the, the struggle with security for the home, the finances, the making sure the vehicles are all running, you know, and, and making sure that we've kind of got those, those things in order. And, and it can be easy for a man to become excessive in those things, become mm-hmm. excessive in the finances. I don't have enough. I'm not secure enough. Or, you know, um, my my possessions aren't quite what I think they need to be. I need maybe not even the the star-studded wealth of a mansion, but I'm not happy with my house. I want a little more. I mm-hmm. want a little more. 
And a lot of men, it's very easy for us. I know as husbands and fathers, because a lot of my work with men's conferences and men's groups around the country for the years has been men talking about, yeah, I struggle with really being able to detach and let God really have these things. Mm -hmm. I've worked for them. I feel like they're mine. That's a big struggle for men. I think of the scripture passage of the man who has the big grain bins. He builds the big bins, and this is a sign of his wealth and his comfort, and he's kicking back, I imagine, him with the feet up, you know, having a lemonade or a beer or something in the Mm -hmm. evening, and all of a sudden our Lord says to him, you fool, this (laughs) night your life is requested of you. In other words, for men, for us to really detach enough to know that all that we have, our gifts, our talents, our possessions, must be in one way or another directly, indirectly, be used for the glory of God and detach mm. from the ownership of them so much that we think it's about us. And that's a big one, I think, for a lot of guys. Another thing is the distraction of, of hobbies, sports, and excess in those as well. I love sports in as much as it's a great game. So you're going to enjoy your game. You're going to have your fun, your moment, your recreation or recreation, if yeah. we pronounce it differently. But the excess that we've taken it to has become grotesque. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us men can fall very easily into worshiping football on Sunday, for example, or a, a four-hour baseball game. And everything is about, oh, that pitch, that strike, that hit, that run, whatever it may be. And again, enjoy the game for what it is, a game. But it is not to be placed even close to the level of your family, your faith, and, and others in general, your neighbor. Um, but I say there's a distraction to these things. Men are easily distracted by the bells and the whistles of the hobbies and the excess and the entertainment and the recreation of life. We're, we're struggle, we struggle with detaching from the possessions and things that we really identify our wealth and our power and our strength with to some mm-hmm. degree. And then the third thing that comes to my mind right away is obviously the evil distractions that are out there. Because while these things aren't in themselves evil, possessions, owning, ownership of things. It's nothing, again, it's only for the glory of God and it's done in the right right order of things. Having a house, having a car, that's fine. But it can become excessive and, and we can become, you know, so overly focused on it. And the same with sports and so forth. But then there's the evil distractions like, for example, pornography mm-hmm. or excessive drinking, gambling, you know, um, abusive things. Uh, and, and those things become a problem and start to spiral down in a man's life. And that's, that's a whole other level of problem and struggle that we men can face. And sometimes the pressures from these other things, like your job, your security, your possessions, so forth, can 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 kind of push you, and then you start turning to these other things as right. crutches. Right. You know, my father, God rest his soul, uh, fell into drinking and ends up dying from a massive heart attack in his mid fifties. His body was so weakened from the alcoholism that he he died from it. So I've I've experienced that in my own life with my father, and then again, many 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 men coming to me, and I'm sure you see this too with men. Um, talking about the struggles with things like uh, uh, pornography addiction and, mm-hmm. and alcohol, drugs, gambling, domestic violence, these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, some of that is, uh, all of this, I would say, Father, comes from, we both know this, um, being away from God. Yep. The further we move away from God, the further we can fall into the possession problem, the excessive entertainment, recreation, sports, hobbies problem, or even the, the poisonous problems of things, again, like pornography and drugs, right. alcohol, gambling, and so forth. We've got to be close to God. We have to try to stay in that state of grace and have a prayer life. Yeah, yeah. And, and Doug, I appreciate the clarity that, that's offered because that's something that I think often comes becomes confusing. As, as a priest, I, you know, day-to-day uh, I, I preach, you know, daily mass, uh, teaching classes and things like that. And then Sunday, you know, it, you, you kind of feel like in, in seven to ten minutes, you know, if Pope keeps kind of pushing that number down, I feel like, oh, gosh, it's going to be five <laughs> minutes soon. But uh, – 
we're trying to not only teach the second grader who's sitting there mildly paying attention mm. and the grandmother <laughs> grandmother who's been at church for 80 years of her life, but, you know, those men that are sitting in the pews yeah. that are really concerned about the three things. You know, materialism, I would say, is, is massive. Right. It, it's such, in, particularly in American culture, we... We really value ourselves based on what we have and what we own. Right. Um, the idea of false gods, um, kind of in the material things, but also in the, the recreational hobbies that we have, and, and then obviously just the, the spiritual dearth that exists in so many mm-hmm. men's lives that, Father, I don't have time to pray. Well, brother, let's talk about what you don't have time to do, because <laughs> really, the amount, I could look, you know, Apple phones tell you how much time you spend on your right. screen. You know, exactly, like to, yeah. let's look. So you were on your phone for eighteen hours in yeah. the past two days. Yeah. You you got some time, right. I think. But um, the materialism challenge uh, of wealth uh, secure—it's security. I think in the best sense, we would yeah. say the excellence of security. You want to provide uh, a stable home for your family. You want to be able to afford to give your kids opportunities that you didn't have. That's sure. the great American dream. And, and I'm very thankful. My dad, I talk about him a lot in this podcast, but he worked 70 to 80, hour, 80 hours a week at a steel mill uh, that was 45 minutes from our home to provide for me and my sisters and my mom. And, you know, I thank God for that stability. Um, but it was always very conscientiously ingrained in my mind that that was the means to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, there was nothing beyond what he did so that he could provide. He got home from work. It was, all right, is your homework done? Yes, no. <laughs> Usually it was yes, thank God. Um, and then let's go throw. You know, play. I played baseball, soccer, a lot of sports. But, you know, there was consistent time in which he invested in each of my sisters and I and and, and my mom, you know, that he took care of my mom. And, and sometimes the last thing, and I, I don't say this to criticize him, I love my dad, but, you know, it wasn't necessarily obvious to me that God was the most important mm, thing. It sure. was important enough because we prayed before meals and, you know, we, we had a habit of praying together as a family from time to time that so was very meaningful and certainly going to Sunday Mass and all those things. But the distraction of security is, I think, probably for most men so pressing that mm-hmm. it does become an all-consuming uh, reality. Like, I've got to make sure my foot is right where it needs to be so that my 401k doesn't slip or my whatever. Yep, that's um, it, yeah. And so I wanted to kind of pose the question to you, uh, how did you overcome this? Because you were young, and you've been self-employed, I think, for 30, almost 30 years, yeah. and you were a young guy with a young family. Um, what were some of the steps you took to just truly trust in God in, in that area of your life? Well, you know, that's, it's, that's interesting because when all that came about— um, my wife and I were were um, just just barely pregnant with our first child, and I had been doing this kind of ministry work while still working at a school full time. It, uh, it was a kind of the a construction background, so I was the the maintenance guy, groundskeeper, repair mm-hmm. guy for the school, and so I liked what I did in, in as much as you know I like working with my hands and repairing and fixing things, and so I was doing all this, and and yet on the weekends I was doing the speaking, the public speaking, and so forth at the youth group work, and and that continued to grow. And so when I reached that point, when I really, in prayer, felt like God was calling me to do a little bit more in this area, I was called into the office by the superintendent of the school as a priest, and he says, what's going on here? Your, your mind is divided. And uh, I explained what was going on. He said, well, do you plan to stay or are you planning on going? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I'm going to do a little fundraiser. And he said, oh, fundraiser. So then you're planning on moving on with this. And I 
Well, okay, I kind of revealed that, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, Father, I feel like i got to find out what God wants me to do here. So a lot of it was based on I, I had to grow in a prayer life first. It had to be right. this constant prayer, Lord, what do you want of me? How do you want me to do this? If you want me to do anything at all, and how, how should it look? Give me something. And then then pray for the grace to listen to him. And mm-hmm. I, I still do that, Father. And, and I think about the words of a man years later when I was um, uh, doing Life on the Rock on EWTN, co-hosting the show with uh, my friend, Father Mark Mary. And um, we had a gentleman, an older gentleman, did men's ministry. And he said, you know, when I pray, God is strangely silent. And that term stuck with me. And so, yeah, it's been pretty much my prayer life a lot of times is God <laughs> is strangely silent sometimes. But pray for the grace, for the guidance, pound on the door over and over again. And when, and then on a natural level, it was presented to me. And the priest said, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? And I said, well, I think I have to try this. And he said, okay, if that's your choice, I'm going to give you one month and I'm letting you go. And so my wife yeah. is pregnant and she's, she's working in a mail room, you know, so imagine basement of a mail room, pregnant woman, one little light bulb hanging above right. her head. It wasn't quite that way, but it was still a mail room. And she was, she was working there and I called her after I walked out of that office and I had told him, all right, I got to try this. He says, you have one month and you're gone. So it was that moment of the security of my job. And he even said to me, you have a family, your, your, your wife is pregnant, you probably shouldn't quit this job. And I said, well, I, I felt like God was calling me, but I also felt like, you know what, I think I can on a natural level make something happen here if I work hard enough. So it was a combination, I guess, to answer your question of gotta, just got to pray, pray hard. That's not everything. You have to have a on, a, on a basic level, God wants us to have some sort of a, maybe a natural plan, how we're right. going to try this, but then trust the rest to God to see if it will work. I wasn't too concerned at the time because I thought if this doesn't work, if it doesn't pan out, um, I'm a go-getter. I can go find another job. I'll work hard. Um, yeah, I was a little, little tense for a while there. Um, but to overcome that kind of attachment, I guess, to the security part of it and the material right. part of it, um, that... that that goes on and on and on, and I can still struggle with that like anybody. I have to keep going back and remembering. Like we talked about at the beginning of the show here, um, I'm going to end up in a casket one day. I'm going to end up in the ground. I'm going to stand before God. And as the saying goes, there's no U-Haul attached to your hearse on the way to the cemetery. <laughs> you don't take any of this with you. Everything that I have is for his glory anyway, somehow, some way, shape, or form, and to show my children what to do with it. So I want to detach from it for my own soul's sake, but also for the natural example that I give my kids and others around me, that these things that we have, even these microphones, these these headphones, they're 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 gonna end up in the landfill one day. Right. So we get too attached to things that are all gonna go away. A good friend of mine, Eric Jenis, classical musician. I worked for 20 years with this guy, I traveled the country with him, incredible musician. And can play anything. Beethoven to Elvis Presley, he can play anything. Yeah. Dolly Joel, he can play it all. He can hear it once and play it. And so he told me one time he's playing his baby grand piano in his living room. And it's his life. It's his job. So he's got this baby grand. He says to his sons, he says, you know where this piano is going to end up one day? Where's that, Dad? He says, in the landfill. In the landfill. Your car, guys, your car, your house, your clothes, everything ends up in the landfill one day. As our Lord says, it all fades away except for what we've done with it. And that was probably one of the key things that helped me, Father, kind of overcome and continue to fight and overcome the temptations of wanting to grasp onto materialism and so forth is is everything passes except what I've done with it yeah. for the Lord. To be a steward of, of the gift that God's given you. And that's, exactly. yeah, the stewardship aspect is something I, I just briefly want to touch on because, I, I you know, I'm a priest. I don't have dependents, right? I don't have children. I, I, I 
I, I have the relative security of knowing that as long as people keep coming to mass and putting a little money in the basket, mm. things are going to be okay. Right. But um, I was challenged early on in seminary where you have no income. Uh, you're <laughs> living, you know, month to month off the stipend that the diocese gives you. And, you know, maybe some sweet ladies in some parish are like, here's, you know, cookie money or whatever. <laughs> and it, thanks be to God, I managed uh, to get through. And yeah. uh, But uh, my brother-in-law, really, it was very helpful. He... He and my sister had six children in, in the first nine years of their marriage. I mean, mm. you can imagine that wow. stress. Uh, that's that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of children. Yeah. Um, a lot of diapers. A, a lot of, <laughs> lot of diapers that their uncle did have to also participate in changing from time to time. But the, uh, he and my sister, um, they took. I think they took, uh, was it Doug Ramsey or whatever? They took some financial. Oh, uh, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, yeah. thanks. Uh, yeah, Doug. Yeah. Dave Ramsey. And and. He just talked to me a little bit about the principles of it, and I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, that, that all makes sense, and, and I, I've never done the course myself, but it seems that it, it's had a good effect. But, you know, the challenge that my brother-in-law gave to me was just a little bit about, you know, how are you even considering what you're doing now? I mean, mm. certainly in seminary, I'm praying a lot. I'm giving my talents to the church. Right. I'm giving my time to the church, but, you know, a little bit of my treasure. And I, and I, I, I bring that up because I think that is a point of faithfulness that, that we're called to as men is that, yeah, if I trust our Lord to do His will, I need to trust Him with this aspect of my life, that I, I need to be generous, you know, be reasonable and take mm-hmm. care of your family. But a real basic point, rubber, rubber hits the road, we're men, we're tactile, we need that point. You know, giving to the church and giving to charitable causes is a means of separating yourself from that attachment to wealth and, and having a real conscientiousness of the first fruits that we hear of so, so often spoken in Scripture that the labors that you do this side of heaven always do need to be oriented to the glory of God. Right. And, and even putting money in the basket on Sunday is a way in which you show, you give glory to God by giving of the, the treasures that you've done, you, you've accumulated through your work, but that movement away from the material. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that uh, I go back to Our Lady, you know, be it done unto me according to thy will. Like, that's self-renunciation at its best, mm-hmm. you know, that she's saying, okay, Lord, I totally trust you, and we're called to imitate that, like, with everything. It's not just these things and those things. It's with all of us. And really, things. none of us can say that what she, her saying that at that moment, none of us can say that our situation will ever be more incredible or overwhelming right, right. than what she was going through right. at that moment. <laughs> be the mom of God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the rise and fall of many nations, the whole idea of this, the savior of the world and mankind. Yeah. I have a feeling if that was presented to me right now, I might not handle it quite right. <laughs> with such grace as she gonna did. going to need a few <laughs> decades to figure this one out. Thanks. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's a, it helps us kind of understand that, that battling materialism and, and looking at these other things, too. I want to get into those uh, Understanding how we can help move away from the the football culture, the the idea of sports as a as a a, a new god, mm. um, and then looking at the spiritual underlying thing. But I, I kind of pivot a little bit into the the sports culture and and these distractions. Mm. Um, you know, this past weekend was uh, the first uh, weekend of rifle hunting season mm. here in the state of Texas. Sure. And, there's generally a pretty good dip in the amount of men that show up to mass on Sunday on this weekend. And it, it struck me, a friend of mine who's a very avid hunter, um, I'm not, I, I go hunting every once in a while, but he said, Father, there's no reason to not go to mass. You kill deer in the morning. Um, there's mass Saturday evening. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. you make a very good argument yeah. that I can't, that I, I certainly agree with. But just that notion that 
even that recreation is worth missing mass. Um, it's such a disordered sense of priority. Mm-hmm. Um, but other practical ways, like we're talking about living and teaching the faith, what are some practical things that you did as a father to help your kids and continue to do to kind of guide them um, with ordering everything to God mm. and then letting order come out of that center in God? Yeah, that's, and you know what? That is, a, I mean, hitting the sports issue is, is one of the biggest. I mean, and so much of the work, ministry work that I've done, presentations, talks, conferences, parish missions, you name it, um, that subject, when it comes up, very contentious for a lot of people. I've been in debates with people who've come up after I've given a talk saying, you know, your, your kid's soccer tournament is not more important than getting to Mass for your Sunday obligation. And I've had people come up and actually say, but my son had committed to the team. They've committed. What about the commitment to the team? I mean, God, God wants us to be faithful to the commitment to the team, doesn't he? All right, pal, look, let's, let's break this down a little bit about commitment, commitment to God, commitment to our souls, commitment to the Ten Commandments, commitments to the precepts of the church, and so forth. I mean, what I would, you know, come back with is say, look, the Ten Commandments existed long before soccer was ever yeah. invented, all right? And the commandment, the third commandment is, of course, keep holy the Sabbath. We are supposed to be with our Lord in faithfulness. Mm-hmm. That's our team above all teams. Um, you know, a couple different things come to my mind with regards to, you know, how do we try to ground these things, especially with our kids and what I try to do with my children is there has to be a, um, an understanding of the natural, uh, of the consequence, the natural consequence of things. St. Augustine, who said that from, from order, you know, this is a very simple way of him, how he put it, from order you get peace, from disorder you get chaos. But the order that he's talking about is God's order, not man's idea of order. So, mm-hmm. for example, the absence of war is not always order. The absence of war may be because of a tyrannical leader who's threatening everybody. So there's no war, but everybody's still living in fear. There's no true, true order right. that comes from that. That's not true peace. That's just fear, and that's keeping everybody down due to fear. True order is that there is a, you know, a, a proper government in place that allows a certain sense of freedom in accordance mm-hmm. to God's design and so forth and such. So even within the family and the home, I would say there has to be a sense of order here if we're going to have true peace in the home. But that order involves then that nothing from the outside that gets into this family or into our lives disrupts God's order of things. And his order, if you go back to understanding the commandments and why it is necessary for us to be at Mass on, on Sunday obligation, on Holy Days of Obligation, not because God needs us, but because we need him. And he mm. has created it so that you have to have food and water on a at least relatively frequent basis or you're going to die. Right. All right? <laughs> just, you cannot say, I just don't need that anymore. The body's made up of approximately 75% water. Without without hydration, you'll you'll go into all sorts of problems before death. Um, dehydration, water right there. You know, we've we've got to understand that there is an order to the way God has designed things. So I try to raise my kids to understand that there's order to things first and foremost by mm-hmm. God's design. And part of that order is that we come to Him, and that nothing interferes with that when it comes to certain times, especially such as uh, Sunday obligation, Holy Days of obligation. And so, you know, the consequence of not going to him is going to lead to a spiritual deprivation and potentially even a loss of your soul for all eternity in hell. And that's another key part, Father, that a lot of people are afraid to talk about. I was very blessed, thanks be to God, that I had a great mother and a great aunt combined, and then a great woman that is now my wife. We were dating at the time, and we heard about Our Lady of Fatima. Now, I'd heard the name now and then of Fatima, and my aunt, God rest her soul, directed me really towards an understanding of Marian apparitions, and she always warned me, follow the ones that are approved by the church. 
Right. So I went back to a prayer book that my mom had given me on Fatima, and it was in the drawer. I would say the drawer. Everybody has that holy drawer. <laughs> it's the one people give you religious stuff, and you say, oh, that's great. Thanks, Grandma. I'm going to put it in the drawer so it never gets hurt, damaged. <laughs> so, or used. Or used. Yeah. That's exactly it. Right. So, so I, I open the drawer and pull out the Fatima prayer book that my mom had given me. I'm reading through it, and I find the July 13th apparition with the blessing of the show, these three children, seven, nine, and ten years old, a vision of hell. And when I read that, it struck me because I believed in hell. Yeah, but did I think it was headed there? No, why would I think that? Now, at the time, I'm not living a wild life, but I wasn't serious about my faith. I was going to Mass, but my heart wasn't there. Sure. But it was a consequence, and that's my point here, is that the consequence that even heaven revealed through Our Lady's apparitions in Fatima of showing children that young, this is a common sense thing, people, common sense, why would God, by his power, through Mary, because she can't do it of her own, show this powerful vision of hell to three little children if it wasn't serious and if there wasn't a very real probability that we could all end up there if we're not taking this seriously. To die in the state of unrepentant mortal sin causes the loss of Christ's kingdom and the eternal death of hell. That's paragraph 1861 in the Catechism. So the natural consequence of breaking God's order and the supernatural, of of, of that that leading to kind of chaos in your home and your family and anybody out there knows mom and dad going to mass or dad's not really crazy about it or kids aren't wanting to go. You know that becomes chaotic in the home. Mm-hmm. I've heard from enough families, and you probably have too, Father. Families go crazy when, when all of a sudden kids are starting to stray off here and there. I've seen some of the most heartbroken mothers and fathers out there because their kids choose not to go to mass. But some of it is because primarily dad maybe didn't take it that seriously. That was a big part of it. But then the supernatural consequence, and I try to my kids know this as well. It is part of the picture. And we live in a time when nobody wants to talk about the heaviness of fear of hell. But the Catechism even says that it's imperfect contrition, albeit, but it does move you as, with grace towards hopefully a more perfect contrition right. of love of God. And the act of contrition actually states that, that I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, but most, most of all... Because they offend you, you, my God. who are all worthy of all my love. And so this idea of not talking about the supernatural consequence of, of missing Mass ignoring it, not taking it seriously when it is a grave matter, mm-hmm. and a grave matter with full knowledge and full consent, three conditions, constitutes mortal sin, dying in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, you lose your soul for all eternity. That's a big deal. So what I did, yeah, as a priest, you know that. Yeah. You preach about that all the time. So when I raised my, my kids, it was the idea of let's, let's establish the reality of the supernatural and natural consequence of not making God primary in your life, and realize that, yeah, you're not going to always enjoy it on a natural level. It's not always going to feel great. Prayer doesn't always feel great. Going to Mass doesn't feel great. But you know what? There's something deeper than feeling. Right. And it's the knowledge that you're doing what's right in the order of things. And that's where you find a deeper joy. And ultimately, you find a true order, a true a true peace that comes from that order. Right. Yeah, it, it so well works with that maxim of St. Thomas Aquinas. Grace perfects nature. Grace. Yeah, right truly heals uh, that which is wounded in nature. And it, moving that w- just direction a little bit of order, um, you know, something else I know we want to talk about today is just uh, holy orders, you know, the priests and yeah. the bishop and deacons, and but we're going to focus a little bit more on priests particularly. The, that the challenges that men face as husbands and fathers are the same challenges that we as priests face, you know, materialism. There, there is always going to be a temptation for priests to kind of be consumed by the world and consumed by the things of the world and the nicest cars and the, the coolest gadgets and all those kinds of things. You and mean then, as priests you're not immune from those things? Is it? No. We, <laughs> maybe, I would say honestly, the, the devil hates priests, so he kind of steps it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's true. Ordained, yeah, but, yeah, a little more attack uh, going there. A little yeah. bit more going on. But, um, but 
yeah, there's there's a reason we call it holy orders. Mm-hmm. That there's an order to God's creation, and He calls us by the grace of our baptism and through the formation and preparation we receive in the church to to witness to that divine order of life by the whole way of living. You know, that this is not a job, it's the being of priest, mm-hmm. that, you know, we enter into the being of, of priest. And the challenges that you, you mentioned, especially materialism, uh, kind of an obsessive activism, I would say, is, mm-hmm. is the problem in the, the church for priests especially, is this activism. Uh, we're not, you know... I don't think too many priests are distracted by sports. In fact, I find oftentimes I'm the only one that knows the scores. Uh, so I'm like, come on, guys, watch a little ESPN at some point. But, yeah. um, but there's a, a stress on other things, um, and, and we look historically at the priesthood, and we see that this has always been a temptation, the, the secular and the uh, supernatural order coming together and, and the priest kind of being in that breach between the mm-hmm. two. Uh, that sometimes they will flee towards the the secular, the worldly order, and away from divine order, and away from the godly order. And where does that manifest itself? Is in a, 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 a proliferation, unfortunately, mm. of unchaste living, of uh, spiritual and psychological habits that are s- ultimately so destructive to the livelihood of the priest. And so what I want to visit with you a little bit is just about how priests can kind of help men uh, counteract some of these temptations uh, first by what we what we live, mm-hmm. how we live, and, and somewhat what we say. And I'll talk a little bit about the preaching aspect and the teaching aspect. But you know, f- to really look at those three kind of uh, those three crises, uh, so materialism that you know, Pope Francis has done us a great favor and really reminding of the, the whole world that you know, we're a poor church for the poor. It's a phrase that, that I think it's construed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know that is not truly centered in the gospel. But for priests, uh, we make a promise. We don't take a vow. That's what religious right. do. We make a promise of simplicity of life. And uh, the way in which we, we embrace that is is most especially seen in the way we personally carry ourselves, our habit, mm-hmm. you know, the, the priest suit or the, or the cassock. I don't need to have a closet full of secular clothes um, that right. cost a lot of money. I, it's such a basic thing, but truly happy am I poor. Uh, the poverty that's present in this is not only that it's a rejection of modern fashion, for sure, uh, <laughs> but that in that poverty of witness, what you're not looking at is, oh, well, he's got the best cassock or he's got the nicest suit or whatever. It's that you're seeing in that priest that Christ is more important than me and my personality. Right. And so I think that's one of the most effective ways that we help, uh, we can help our, our, the men in, in our parishes is to look at how am I living this example of simplicity? Are my mannerisms or my habits uh, uh, something that's conducive to a simple life? So, for instance, I know you, I've gotten to know you a little bit better, I know you perfectly well, but I, I've visited your home uh, and... I, I looked around and you know I, I know it's a difficult situation but you, you you've got you got your boxes you're moving you got your weight room but I was struck by you know in your home there was there was no lack of things you've got what you need sure but there's not an abundance of things either and and one of the most scandalous things that I, I can recall as a priest is walking into some rectories and thinking my gosh father I mean you've got more flat you know, screen high def TVs than they do at the ESPN uh, <laughs> studios, and and thinking to myself, this is a great scandal, mm. um, and working on that in a practical way of simplicity of life 
it, I think, again, it, it helps men. And you, you can let me know what you think about this, but it helps men to see that if we can live that, it, it can help you live it more faithfully. And, and sharing that with you a little bit, like that, you know, there's an intentional reason that I do these things to live more simply because uh, it clears out the clutter. Right. 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 So finding that 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 combination of, okay, what is Father doing, and then what can, how can I help you as a layman in the church? Uh, I think it would be something very important for us to continue to work on here in this podcast, but also as, as, as men in the world that we share that witness with others. The, the growth of activism, though, is something a little bit distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, and for the priest and for the layman, it's, two different, it's kind of two different worlds in some sense, but it's really not. It's the same temptation. It's just different manifestations that... For a father and a husband, there there's so many demands. There's your job. There's your responsibilities civically that you have, socially that you have, um, and so there's there's all-consuming things that kind of become your calendar, right? Right. right. And for a priest, uh, and I, I'll accuse some self-accusation here. Like I, I have this temptation. I have to really fight it is to not say yes to everything. I try to be more disciplined about saying no to things. But how a priest prioritizes, how he orders his life, if it's in the activity of things or if it's in the activity of prayer, mm. I think is one of those fundamental uh, witnesses that we share with each other is I need to know that Father's pray- has a good prayer life, right? You need to see that in your priests. Yes, I would absolutely. Hope. Yeah. And I know you've told me you've seen that in some of your priests. We're very blessed. Bishop Strickland has been explicit, and I know he does it. He prays a holy hour every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that he's before our Lord in the Eucharist every day for at least an hour, oftentimes more. Um, but if you if you can think of an, a time when that's kind of changed your perspective or helped you, did you ever witness a priest praying that, that kind of showed you something new? in your own life or just kind of revealed, oh, yeah, this is this is what he's talking about. This is how I go deeper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I've been very fortunate in being able to travel around the country for many years and meeting a lot of priests at different events and, and parishes and conferences and so forth. And, and you know, getting a just a general feel, but, you know, getting a, a little sense here or there of their prayer life, their spiritual life um, has been has been helpful to me. And there have been several um, and there are a couple that stand out that I'll, I'll never forget who had this, um, they, they could, they can almost like, uh, it's like, like switching, flipping the switch or, or changing gears so quickly they can be all fired up about this and that. And then when, when they would celebrate the mass, everything changed mm-hmm. and their whole demeanor posture changed. Or, um, I, I, I step into the chapel to, you know, for, um, adoration for, for some time here or there and, and there are the priests, he, he, and he's praying over here in the posture, the demeanor, um, and not judging because you, you can't always tell how someone physically presents himself, don't always know what's going on inside the soul. But seeing the time was the big thing, though, mm-hmm. was to see, you know, old spiritual directors that I would have, you know, back in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I'm from, you know, um, just getting a sense in, in the way they would speak about prayer, the way they would show it by their example, had a huge impact on me. But in addition to that, and along the lines of some of what you said is, when it's explained to me also, and I think if priests can preach this from the pulpit, a lot of laymen, I think, will look at a priest and think, well, you do have to live a simple life. You're a priest. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to because I didn't take any vows like that. Right. You know, my life is my own. But when I've heard a few priests over the years explain some of what you just did, in fact, Father, about the the um, the simplicity, living a simple life, putting things in a proper order and perspective, um, and how while 
while the vocation is different between a, a layman and a priest, there is still the father aspect that cannot be denied or ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still, I mean, you're doing it to your spiritual family, your, your parishioners and so forth, but I'm doing it for my own kids. Um, the example that that I give them about simplicity has everything to do with whether or not they're going to get wrapped up in the things of this world, materialism, the obsessive activism, these sorts of things you're talking about. They've just got to be going and doing and living and flying and everything's 5G now, right? Right. Everything's that fast and I'm, you know, my hair's on fire and I'm, you know, the old Top Gun phrase, phrase, you know, do Mach 2 with your hair on fire, you know. That's how people are living their lives now. But what does prayer do? Prayer says stop and bring it down. Right. Bring that plane down, baby, land it. And just let's just go before the Lord, okay? Because mm-hmm. you can do none of this without that Lord, without the Lord there, without that moment of prayer. But when that's explained, when a priest says, "You know what, parishioners, let me give you a homily on what it means as a priest for me to slow down and how it's something you all should be doing as well." Mm-hmm. Um, that example that I would see from the priest, the way Mass is celebrated, the speed at the consecration, and not for show at all. Right. Another thing I like, Father, is when I see priests who have no problem taking as long as it takes. To distribute Holy Communion, we're not here to hurry it up, folks. We're here to keep it reverent. We're here to give everybody that time and that silence even at times. Mm -hmm. We're not rushing through. This is the most important moment of your life is this communing with God and receiving him in the Eucharist. And and this priest is going to make sure the world knows this. Um, to the best of his ability within his his realm there. And I know there are times, you know, you mentioned earlier about shortening homilies and so forth. And I remember, forget, a priest from Nigeria who was a visiting missionary years ago, and, and he got up there with a great accent. And he says, they tell me my homilies must be 10 minutes. Mm. How do you preach about Jesus in 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. And he said, it's impossible, it you know, is. to really, you know, how do we convey this? And as a priest, to us husbands and fathers, I have no problem when you as a priest look at me and say, look, I can't tell you what to do within your home and your family. It's your vocation as a husband and father. But I can say that as a father to another father, um, your prayer life relationship with God, it has to be there. It has to be um, it has to be that that link has to be as solid as you can imagine between you and God the Father for you to be the Father that you're called to be in this world. So the example I think a priest sets by the way they their, their posture, their demeanor, and every aspect of the spiritual things, the mm-hmm. celebration of the Mass, the distri- distribution of Holy Communion, the reverence, 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 reverence in these areas is key. I think to help us fathers, us, us laymen, understand the need for us to to adopt those those same principles in yeah. our lives. But please explain it to the priest listening right now. Explain it to us in detail like you just did, Father. Mm-hmm. We need the explanation as laymen sitting in the pews. Because like you said earlier, you got like, what, seven, eight, ten minutes? Right, maybe. Yeah, if we're all paying attention. Right. If we're wrestling with our kids now and then. Sometimes we walk out of Mass as, as married people with children. We say, was Father there today? I mean, <laughs> we're so distracted by our own children sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Lord understands all this. He gets all that. But for a priest to make it clear to us men, you know, this, that, and the other thing about your role, your prayer life, stop with the mock two hair on fire moment. Stop with the 5G. Shut the things down. Shut the phones down. Land the plane. Go before the Lord, or you're, or you're going to drown. Yeah, yeah. And, and Doug, it's, it's ever more pressing on me. I think about it all the time is, you know, yeah, challenges in the world, challenges in the church going on. What's, what's Christ calling us to? He's calling us to ever greater fidelity. And, and there's a, a ritual aspect to that that does get modeled in the way we celebrate mass and and certainly i was the beneficiary i will 100 uh, you know always give credit where credit's due to 
the diocese to, to pay for my seminary education mm-hmm. and sent me to great seminaries. And one of the things that was most striking uh, for me, you know, a man being, you know, uh, formed to be a priest, was noting how priest, I was the MC, so I was in the sacristy before Mass with okay. the priests, and noticing how priests prepared for Mass. Um, there were times, you know, unfortunately, sorry guys, just happens, you all know it, but there's times when the priest seems to just fly in. Mm. He literally gets out of the car, comes out of the rectory, whatever, in the seminaries he came out of his room. He's there, Mass is at 645, he's there at 642, you know, swinging the vestments on, not a moment of recollected prayer, straight up to the stairs, ring the bell, and go. And, you know, 27 minutes later, we're out. and. Wow vestments are off out the door um, as if this was an inconvenience mm. to everything else and and you know thanks be to God that was the exception and not the rule overwhelmingly I was the beneficiary of seeing these priests have a recollection sense of recollection right. praying those vesting prayers as they're placing the amos and and all those things on on um, and having that kind of real sense of I'm going before the altar of God, uh, you know, to give glory to his name, and everything I do needs to reveal that, needs to reveal the sacred. Um, It just becomes, like I said in my prayer, it's become ever more obvious this is Mm -hmm. something that we can do that's not hard, that's not punching anybody in the face and like, this is the way you do it, but a subtle appreciation of the silence and the recollection that's necessary for Mass. You know, on that point, Father, you made me think of something here that I maybe could bring up here, too, is that, you know, when you describe it that way, it sounds, like you said, inconvenience, and, you know, hopefully that is the, the exception, not the rule, but same idea with confession. I know um, I've been to some places, you know, when I travel, a lot of times I go to, like, masstimes.org or some of these sites to find out what the local schedules are, Mass or confession or adoration. If mm-hmm. I'm in a town and I've got some time and I can get to adoration or confession or I want to get to day of the Mass somewhere, and I'll look at the schedules that some of the parishes, and I'd like to see what they do for confession. Mm-hmm. Or do they have perpetual adoration? Because that tells you a lot about the parish. Yep. And when you've got 30 minutes on Saturday or by appointment only for confession, I'm thinking, wait a minute, either they're very, very short on priests, and then you look and see, oh, no, they're not. They've got two priests or three priests living in the record or something. And I'm not judging, but it does, from a standpoint of observation, does not right. look real encouraging. You know, if, if the role of a priest primarily is you're here to preach the gospel, administer the sacraments for the salvation of souls— and that becomes very evident and clear in the way a priest makes sure he's taken time for confession and he's really there. Mm-hmm. I know a priest up in, in Wisconsin, a friend of mine, Father Heilman, who has in his rectory, has an old night, house is built in 1904. It's a small town outside of Madison. And, and his, his, in his rectory, he, uh, in the doorway, you've got three doors. One goes into a hallway, one goes into a chapel on the right, and one goes into his office on the left. Well, he cut a hole and made a confessional out of that door to his office. Nice. So anybody, and he puts us out on Facebook and wherever, you know, he gets the word out, contact me, let me know if you need confession. Anytime, if I'm in the rectory, all you got to do is come into that little opening, that little doorway of my house, behind the screen of my office door, I'll close it, I'll stop whatever I'm doing, I'll hear a confession. He makes himself available all the time for confession, as well as his normal, right. you know, posted times, times. Posted times, right. So that emphasis from a priest saying, salvation of souls, my job as a priest, I'm here to reach out to souls, go after the lost one, leaving the 99, I will, I will be there, translates to me as a husband and father. My job is my wife and my children. 
And if I can treat my wife and children the same way as a priest treats the children that you're given, the souls you're given the care of, and I see that example, and then it's, again, look, we men, sometimes we're thick-headed. It's got to be, we've got to be told like eight times sometimes before we get this stuff. So tell me, Father, from the pulpit eight times, my job as a priest is salvation of souls. It's confession. It's mass. It's your salvation. You who are husbands and fathers, it's your wife and your children. Mm-hmm. And make sure that there's nothing that, that in any way distracts from the best you can give them. And the best you can give them is that relationship with God. On a natural level, I say every man's got to have a plan to protect their family. Someone kicks in the door, you want to protect your family. You want right. to make sure that they're fed well, protect the guard, and so forth. But spiritually, 24-7, 365, I've got to be engaged in that spiritual battle for my children. And if I see that from priests like yourself, Father, who make mm-hmm. that evident that the sacraments and reaching for the salvation of the souls that God entrusts to your care are, is primary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see, you know what, I can, I can adopt that to my life much more readily because the priests that I'm around are doing that, right? and this is my vocation. But in effect, it's just a kind of a different realm, but I'm, I'm kind of doing the same thing right. by fighting for those that God entrusted me on that level. Yeah, there's a complementarity that, that yeah. between biological and spiritual fatherhood right. that we really, as we talk about the complementarity between man and woman, we have to talk about the complementarity between these sacraments of service, right. you know, that were the catechism kind of puts us in, the, in these two, this order of sacraments of service to the church and the world. Um, I, I think that the the hardest thing that, you know, from a priest's perspective, a lot of times I talk, I do talk to men all the time, and, and a number of them just say, Father, how do I, you know, how do I make God more the center of my life? You know, it's not that they they, they, they love Christ, they, they believe what the church teaches, they, they may not know what all is taught, but mm-hmm. they, there's that sense of fidelity to Christ. But... It's always the practical, you know. That's again, men need to hear it a hundred yeah. times. They need to see it demonstrated. Right. Um, so that active pray, like going and praying in the church as a priest, is a big part of my life. I always try to take my time to pray in the presence of Christ, in the presence. Of, you know, if people are there, great. If they're not, that's okay. But I'm there to show that. But in a practical sense, we we live with the world at our fingertips, right? We've got mm-hmm. laptops, we've got uh, you know all these smartphones, everything in the world that can kind of help demonstrate this to right. us. Um, I think one of the best tools that has really kind of, I would say, changed the way I approached even the advice that I'm giving to fathers uh, has, has truly been um, going to this phrase you know, from Scripture. It's iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. One of the most practical things that men need to do, and priest, I'm talking to you too because we also fall prey to this, is we need to surround ourselves with men who inspire us to holiness. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we settle, as men who are in the professional world especially, for only having acquaintances from work, mm-hmm. right? That, that the guys at the parish that I see literally every Sunday, I probably don't even know their first names. <laughs> um, and so a big push for me is just, you know that guy that sits two rows in front of you every week? You know, he's about three or three years older than you, but y'all have so much more in common than you realize other than just Sunday mass. Why don't you actually open your mouth and say, Hey, I'm Bob. It's nice to meet you. You want to get a beer sometime or let's get a cup of coffee. Um, but just that's such a practical thing that we as priests needed to do. My, most of my spare time is spent with who? With priests. Hmm. Like my day off, I'll spend it with my family sometimes and I'll spend it with friends sometimes, but overwhelmingly, I'm going to spend more of that time with men who are going to inspire me to be a more faithful and holy priest. Sure. 
So from your perspective, too, I'm just curious. That's my practical suggestion is surround yourself with holy men. And that's a conscious and, decision you're making, though, right? right? Yeah. To move beyond the pale of just acquaintances. And it's not that your professional acquaintances are not evil, but am I surrounding myself with men who actually inspire me to be more holy, to, right. to drive me towards clarifying that mission in my life? And so turn to you and just ask you, what are, what's some of the more practical or most practical things you would like to suggest as we, we get ready to close our podcast down? Well, you know, for men in general out there is, like you said, you know, we have to assess a situation. I always say, I like to, I relate things a lot to like, you know, maybe military terminology, mm-hmm. you know, and I was not in the military, I was in Coast Guard for a short time, but with regards to, you know, understanding men recognize a fight. We like movies like, whether it's the old John Wayne movies, whether it's The Longest Day, you know, uh, the famous Invasion of Normandy with John Wayne and Henry Fonda, all the big old star cast, whether it's movies like that or the modern day, you know, things like Expendables with Mm -hmm. Rambo. Men like these movies in general because there's something about battle and something about conflict between good and evil Mm -hmm. that we're we're really wired for uh, because God made us that way. I mean, go back to King David. I love the whole King David story that David, you know, this young guy, this ruddy youth, handsome to behold, and there's this giant, and this giant is mocking God. And if you really look at the scriptures, you know, he, he's, he's saying to the giant, you will not mock God. No mm-hmm. way, not on my watch. That's an attitude, not on my watch. I love that phrase, not on my watch. So he flings the stone, and as he flings the stone, he's running towards him already. The stone is right. move one. Right. Move two. And this is tactical strategy. If men can look at this scripture and think, wow. Yeah, this is this is he's strategizing here. He's this is strategery, as George Bush used to say, <laughs> right. former president. But you know, he he throws the stone, he runs at him, he pulls out glass he cuts his head off, holds it up, and in effect it says, you know, who's next? And he carries the head back into the tent to show Saul. I mean, this is this is a man that God says is a man after my own heart. He's the only man in scripture that God says is a man after my own heart, those words. I believe that's the only yeah. man. And so I'm thinking, man, look, this is what we're built like. We're built, and I said to young guys all over the place, are you is there anything in your DNA that's different than David's? In effect, no. We're built the same as men. It's something going on inside the head and the heart. But David had a prayer life. He was close to God, and he surrounded himself with warrior-minded people. And so, like you said, he assessed the situation. So strategically, militarily, self-defense-wise, how do you want to look at it? You assess the situation, and you see what, what helps you achieve the goal, the most important goal and priority best. So as you said, if I'm hanging out with a bunch of guys here, and these are buddies of mine at work, but you know what? Their goal is purely earthly or worldly, then I've got to reassess the situation and and rethink my 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 decision making paradigm. Right. I have to I have to rethink it, and I've got to start looking at other situations here. So first, I have to on my own own the reality of my faith, the reality of of what my ultimate goals are, and that is to get myself to heaven, get my wife and children to heaven, and so forth. And then I have to act upon that. Men, we have to be men of action. Assess the situation, guys. Realize. Who is slowing you down when it comes to the most important thing? Your spiritual growth, your your development and understanding of, of faith and world combined and so forth. And you know what? Yeah, there are guys out there that are so lofty that I don't I don't spend a lot of time with maybe because they're in a different area than right. I am. You know, um, but I do understand that the guys I, I choose to hang out with are guys that want God. They mm-hmm. want God in their life. They may be scrapping and scraping on the pavement to get there. But I kind of like that sometimes, the guys that are the underdogs. And I don't mind hanging out with those guys if the heart is sincere. Kind of recently, at the time we recorded this podcast, our recent scripture was Zacchaeus in the tree. And why does our Lord call on him? Because Zacchaeus put forth the effort to climb the tree. And if he's going to put forth that effort, our Lord looks at that and says, this man wants to know who I am. He wants to see me 
this is a guy I'm going to go hang out with today at his house. If we men can see that same thing, gentlemen, who are the guys in your life that really want God and really want to get their families to heaven and associate with them? Build the bonds with them. And it takes time to build some bonds. And you got to put forth some effort in that. You don't just expect a relationship to happen that fast. You got to contribute to it. You got to nurture it. You got to grow it. You got to train it. And, you know, everybody's got to be willing to kind of swallow some pride and make that happen. But we assess the situation, see if, if the, the true most important goals are being met with the people you're hanging out with. And if they're not, then rethink your, your decision-making paradigm right. and get with the right guys that are going to get you on that right track. And that comes down to being humble enough to be in prayer. Oh, I boy. No at the end of the fun. day, yeah. just getting ready to wrap up, just to, to reemphasize uh, as men, as husbands, fathers, as priests, you know, our gift to the world is that we demonstrate the love of the Father, that people truly encounter another Christ in their priests, that they encounter the living joy of Christ in husbands and fathers throughout the world that begins by getting on our knees and coming to the Father first and saying, yeah. Lord, here I am. I come to do your will. Right. Well, I, thank you, Doug. I hope you uh, have a blessed day. i got to get in the car and drive two ba- hours back <laughs> to my parish to get ready to uh, to hear Mass, or say Mass, hear confessions, yeah. and teach tonight. So awesome. God bless you. Thank you for thank all you. for listening, and uh, we hope to see you here. Uh, we'll be speaking with you again soon. God bless. Bye-bye. The Lord be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.